Father, we're so thankful for your word. We praise you that we have it. We praise you above all things that we have your spirit that illumines it to us. Oh, Lord, we're so thankful. We're thankful that you are our God and we are your people. We're thankful that you've given us gift after gift and blessing after blessing. And then we're also thankful that you correct and admonish and rebuke us. We're so thankful that you treat us as children whom you love and that you discipline us and do its best for us. We praise you for your grace, and we ask this morning that you would truly um, help us to see and to understand and to walk out what you work in. For we ask this in Jesus. Amen. Well, last week, as we are in the series, I attempted to, by God's grace, hopefully, stir our hearts and help us to examine ourselves and to look at where we're at with God. And hopefully, I don't know what God's done in your hearts this week, but um, the last two sermons actually have been very difficult. (laughs) Difficult for me. Difficult, I'm sure, for you to listen to. Hope you still like me. Tend to hate the messenger. But uh, this morning, we're going to look at uh, where it is our power comes from for us to go on mission. If we're going to be on mission, you can't just say, okay, let's go. As we've looked at, there's all this preparation, this foundational work of realizing that to be on mission is actually something, this is a work of God that God's been doing from the very beginning. God has a plan. God is going to do something on this earth, and God has, he, he gave commissioned man at the beginning, and then as we saw this, our continual problem is that we always get off mission, we end up serving and worshiping idols, we end up turning away, we end up falling off track, and God, in his grace, constantly calls his people back, and, and, and when they do repent and turn to him with their whole hearts, he, he heals them and restores them and goes before them. It's really, this is his work that we participate in. And you really see this in the life of Jesus. He says, I just, came, I just came to do my Father's will. That's it. Like, what my Father's doing, that's what I do. I, I do my Father's work. This is his work, and we, we're participating in this work. And here's the deal, though. It's a work, and we're called to do something that's far bigger and greater than ourselves. It, it should have a sense, it should have a feel of that the... The calling is beyond my capacity. As Mike mentioned in the call this morning, this is often the way it is with God because uh, when we end up seeing our inadequacies, we end up seeing our failures, we end up seeing ourselves in light of who God is and what he's called us to, this should cause the heart to repent. And here sometimes I think what we do is we think that repentance is just promising to do better, saying that, Oh God, please forgive me for do that. I won't do it any uh, any longer, and I'll start doing the right thing. But we have to understand that the the heart of repentance is a turn. It's a turn toward God. It's a full on, full frontal towards Him, falling on your face, looking to Him in the light of His presence and glory, and looking Him to Him for all that you need. Because you know, when you're sinning, you turn away from God and you go after your own stuff, do your own thing, and do your own. All, all your th- pleasures of your own flesh. And then what ends up happening is that we, we, we start making resolutions, don't we? Man, I'm not going to do that anymore. And then we, because you know what we're afraid to do? We're afraid to go and approach God. 
We're like Adam in the garden. We'd rather go hide under a bush because it feels strange. I do not want to go to approach God because I'm ashamed of what I've said, of what I've done, or I thought. Every one of us have been there, haven't we? Have you ever been ashamed? You ever done th- something and you're ashamed of what you've done? And, and of course you have, because that's a natural reaction. And when you're ashamed, the last thing you want to do is truly repent, which is turn to God and look to Him for all that you need. What you want to do is you try, try to amend your ways. You want to make yourself a little bit better for God. And God's like... Okay, have fun with that. Uh, because this is your perennial problem, is turning away and doing your own thing. And even in your own righteousness, in your own repentance, you think that it's, it's amending. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, God, I'm going to show you. And I, I, I could tell you oodles of testimonies in my own life where I'm like, God, I'm going to show you that I really love you. And I'm going to show proof to you that like, this time I'm not going to do that. I'm, I'm not going to fall in that way. Okay. See how that works. And guess what I do? I, I fall in that way. And it's only when I come to God and turn to Him and, and humble myself in His presence and say, God, I can't and I need you. Lord, it's at that moment that God says, finally, you're like that publican who goes to the temple and beats his chest and can't even lift his eyes to heaven. And, and all he says is, Lord, I'm a sinner. And I've sinned. That's beautiful. God, God cleanses and God fills and God, and God ministers to that person. So this morning we have to understand where does our power come from? This is fundamental. If we don't get this, we run off in our own strength and find ourselves to be failures. Did you realize that this is why Jesus gave us the Spirit? And this is why we need the filling of the Spirit. Do you, before the disciples went out on mission, the mission that Jesus had given to them, they were told by Jesus to go up into the upper room and wait. Wait. Why did he do that? Because you're going on a mission that's way beyond you, that's way bigger than you. It's, it's, it's beyond all your resources. So you need to go, and I want you to wait. Because he says, and wait for the promise pouring out of the Spirit. If, here's how it reads in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, as was read for us this morning. You will receive power. Did you hear that? You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses. Now, what will happen is you'll receive power, and then you, with this power, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You will be, I just, I commissioned you in Matthew 28 to go disciple the nations. Did he say, now run, go? No, he said, no, go wait. Wait and you will receive the power you need when I pour out the Spirit upon you. And then you're able to go. What's so remarkable about this is that the same Spirit and power the spirit he's talking about, the spirit that came upon him, upon these uh, the disciples in Acts 1-8 there, it's the same spirit that shaped heaven and earth. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. The same spirit that caused causes dead people to come alive again. Think of Ezekiel, the dead man's bones. It was the spirit of God that did that. It's the same spirit 
that invisibly created you in your mother's womb. It's the same spirit that's at work right now upholding and sustaining all things. It's the same spirit, and it's his power in us, that Paul prays for the Ephesians that they would realize that they indeed have it. Listen to how he he prays for them in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 19 and following. Paul prays that they would know the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. That you would know this. That you would know the immeasurable. Now, that's big, right? Immeasurable. (laughs) This power cannot be measured. It's that big. Toward those who believe. According to the working of his great might, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand of the heavenly places. This power, what's he talking about? This spirit. This spirit who's unmeasurable in his power. He says, And he placed him far above all rule and authority and power and dominion in every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. Paul here is making this petition for the believers in Ephesus because he realizes that knowing, understanding, and believing that this same spirit dwells in them. And when they know it and they get that, that's transformative. Paul realizes that this truth makes a difference in how people live. Like when you understand, wait a second, hold on, the creator of the universe, the spirit of the living God dwells in me. Ponder that for a moment. He's dwelling in me. He says, I pray that you would understand who it is that dwells in you. He knows that this this affects the way we live and how we live. In fact, he uses it for an argument with the Corinthians when they're living debauched lives and they weren't understanding who they are. They weren't getting that they are the children of God who have the Spirit of God. He says, and Paul wants you to, them to understand in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 17 through 20, he says this, He who is joined to the Lord becomes one with one, one spirit with him. Now listen to that. He who's joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. That's pretty profound. The person who's basically been baptized into Jesus, who puts their faith and trust in Jesus, who's been united to Jesus, has become one spirit with them. They've been united in their spirit. And this is, and on the basis of this, he says, flee from sexual immorality. Because every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your, listen to this, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? Wow. Your own body. Think of that is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Temple of God. And this is, he finishes off by saying, you are not your own, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. So this is what he wants Christians, the Corinthians especially, to wrap their heads around. The fact that God, by his Spirit, dwells in them. Now, We've been actually, not theoretically, 
actually united to Jesus by the Spirit. So we're one. So in you right now, think of what you are. You think of, this is what you, what you need, almost need your mind to do. Go back to the temple and how glorious was the temple and how sanctified was the temple and how holy was the temple and how revered and honored was the temple. How, all this glory. And why was it? Because it had to be this way and God came and he dwelt among them. Among them. He dwelt in this temple. But you know, Jesus says, you know what the day is coming? The day is coming when those who worship God will not worship him on this mountain or on that mountain, but worship him in spirit and truth. They didn't know at the time what he was talking about. None of them did. No one, not a single disciple, no one had a clue what they were t- he was talking about until Acts chapter 1 happened. All of a sudden, ding, 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 you've got to be kidding me. The glory of God, the spirit of God that came down upon the temple has come down upon and dwelt in his people. This is mind-blowing. You've got to be kidding me. So these people are the temple of God. The temple now is just a mere shadow, a, a foreshadowing of what was to come. This was actually a representation of God's people. And he was going to dwell in them. They are actually the house. Now, there's no way their minds could have even gotten around this because they so revered the temple. They so esteemed it. They just thought it was like, it was like, oh, you know, you make your ascent up to the temple mount. And there was, it had such a glory that it would cause people to tremble because it was awesome. And especially when God by his presence was there. And Paul's like, hello, I want you to understand something. And this is a little bit transformative when you get it. The Spirit dwells in you like he dwelt in the temple. And in fact, you are the temple. Oh, that's, that's profound. And I actually, I've had times in my life when I've just meditated on this. And it's kind of gripped me and overwhelmed me, and it's 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 a little bit like, whoa, strange. But how often do we go through our lives without thinking about it? Just continuing on doing our things, not realizing who is dwelling in us. Here's the other thing. So often we pray, and we think, and we do things. We even worship this morning's from our mouths, thinking about God in heaven, which is not untrue. It's true. But what we? how often do we think God dwelling in us? How often do we sing from our spirit to his spirit? How often do we pray in the spirit to his spirit? How often do we commune with God in the spirit? Often we commune with God in the head or out of our mouths and our thoughts are in like in some lofty place because we live and act and, and almost function in life as if this reality here, what we're talking about, isn't considered or fully understood, or grasped, or walked in. At least it's not walked in, lived in. And we got to be honest, right? I mean, we can think about this for right now. Let's just ponder this reality that God is dwelling in me right now. God of heaven and earth. That's pretty mind-blowing. And it can really have an impact. And you realize that I'm the temple of God in which he dwells. And all of a sudden, you feel the sense of, whoa, holy, 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 is the Lord God Almighty. And he has sanctified this temple by the blood of his son and separated me and cleansed me for this purpose. This is unreal. And it starts to begin to affect our lives. The only thing we don't 
realize often is how the Spirit works. Because we thought, man, if I really, if that was true, Dean, wouldn't I be buzzing and humming like an over, overpowered power generator? Like, oh, the Spirit of the living God in me? Well, no, if you've seen how the Spirit works, the Spirit's invisible. And the Spirit works in and through things. And often, only on rare, rare occasions do you see the big Shazam moments. But often, if you look at life, right now, if you go and you live life daily, the Lord is upholding all this stuff. The Lord is sustaining it, over it, in it, through it. Yet you didn't notice, did you? It's normal. The Spirit of God is actively at work. And here's even how subtle it is in even our lives. We think something so powerful, so powerful dwells in us. That's, whoa, that's shocking. It is, but you got to watch how the Spirit works. Look at how in your own life the Spirit brings conviction. The subtle, convicting power in the heart. How the Spirit guides you, illumines you, gives you words to say, helps you, strengthens you, comforts you. And all of it is all just like an ever, like a slow moving river of peace. It's not, it's not chaotic and crazy as like, Wah! you know, these things happen in, in you and it's like, whoa, freak you right out. What was that? It's not the spirit, how the spirit works. You think of conviction. Conviction goes deep down and it starts to grip you and it can grip you and it's almost quiet. It's quiet, but it's powerful and it gets in your bones and you feel like you have to move. The work of the Spirit. So we, when we think of the Spirit in us, it's and, and think of this amazing fact that God dwells in us, we have to also understand the way of the Spirit is not crazy volatile, but slow-moving power, just raw power that works in ways that's really not flashy and dramatic. Almost, rarely is it ever flashy and dramatic. And this, uh, this understanding from this basis and knowing who we are and what we possess, from here we have to know something else as well. And this is the second point I want to make here this morning because it's connected to this first one, the fact that we're filled with the Spirit. What we have to understand and what we have to do for this to really to live in it, to walk in it, we have to do this next thing. We have to be feasting on the truth. Now let me explain what I mean. Paul says in Romans 8, 5, that those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. So clearly, if our minds are set on the things of the Spirit, here's what Paul says, if your mind is set there, you will, you will walk in the Spirit. This is how it works. It's if then. If you do, you will. If you set your mind on the things of the flesh, guess what? I'll tell you how you're going to walk. You're going to walk in the weakness and subjection of the flesh. That's how you're going to walk. So the question is, what does Paul mean by the things of the Spirit? How does one set their mind on these things of the Spirit? What does that actually look like? Well, he must mean what he has exhorted various other churches to do in places like Philippians, Colossians, and Ephesians where he says things like this in Colossians 3, 1 through 2. If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated, seated at the right hand of God. 
Set your mind on things that are above, not on the things of this earth. So there he doesn't just say, set your mind on the things of the spirit. He gets a little bit more specific, doesn't he? Set your mind on things above. So now we got things above and not on things of this earth. Things above, things of this earth. Okay, clear, but still not, we're still scratching our heads a little bit. Okay, I'm not exactly how this works out, sure how this works out. He gives maybe some more help when you look at Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, where he says, Finally, brothers, whatever's true, whatever's honorable, whatever's just, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's commendable, if there's anything in, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Okay, that helps fill out the picture a little bit more, I guess. But we have to think if, Think of the things of the Spirit, things above, not things of this earth, whatever is true, praiseworthy, good. Okay. What does that mean? What exactly are these things? Well, here's the, the central component to the way and the, what we should be thinking. The greatest thing to ever be thinking about in heaven, the, great, the most truthful the most good, the most beautiful, the most glorious, the most awesome thing you could ever think about is God himself. Newsflash, right? Wow. Wow. <laughs> because we know that Jesus himself, Jesus says, I am the truth. Jesus himself is the truth. You know him, you know the truth. We also know that the number one thing that the Spirit is about is the Father and the Son. It's the Spirit's absolute joy and delight to glorify the Son. Exalt Jesus, and the Spirit's like, yes, yes, exalt Him more, yes. And this is why in your own spirit, if you worship in the Spirit and praise the name of Jesus, your spirit comes alive. It's almost strange and profound. How is it that I can worship Jesus? And if I worship him, if I, when I'm focused and I'm worshiping from the spirit as opposed to from just from my head and my lips moving, what's on, you know, you sang songs this morning and you could have sang them, but your head was in, you know, the third aisle of Walmart somewhere. It's like, you're gone. You weren't here. That's not worshiping Jesus. When you worship from the Spirit, and you worship Him in, in the Spirit and in truth. This is the day is coming, says Jesus, when these, they will worship from their Spirit. Worship from the Spirit and worship the true. The, in the true temple, the, the, the true Lord, this will be different because the Spirit will work such a work in their lives. Now, you could ask any member of the Trinity, the Father, Son, or the Holy Spirit, can you tell me what most glorious thing that we could think about is? Father would say, yes, the Son and the Spirit. The Son would say, the Father and the Spirit. The Spirit would say, the Father and the Son. It's like the, there's nothing greater to think about, to dwell on, because he's the most glorious and awesome thing there is. And so, if we were going to walk in the Spirit and set our minds on the things of the Spirit, then this means, by implication of what I've just said, that Bible reading and theology are good things to set your mind on. Why is that? Well, because you realize what theology is, is the study of God. 
What the Bible is, is the revelation of God. It's how you get to know him and understand him. But this immediately creates a problem. Because we can often approach theology as some academic exercise, and our Bible reading is some task that just needs to get finished. Or perhaps we're a little better than that. We get the task finished, and we think about it for a couple minutes, and then off we go. We can also think to what, this way. This is how often we approach theology and the scriptures and things like that, is that we approach it like some academic exercise. That as long, once I've read the book, taken the course, had the class, what's next? Right? I did that. I t- I've taken that class. We move on. We keep thinking we move on. And I often think I've had this thought of so many academics who approach God this way and knowing God this way have often abandon the faith. Because, man, they're often like la-la land before long because, you know, you get the, the doctrines down and they're like, they want something else to, to tantalize them. They want, they want something new to kind of wrap their heads around. And now they're often, you know, arguing about super, superlapsarianism versus infolapsarianism. And uh, you're thinking, what are those, those words? Who cares? It's that stupid. Um, uh, yeah, and then and then they're and then they're like they're trying to find chiasms within chiasms. They've got to be here. I know. I've loved these things, you know. And then they're and once once they got all that figured out, then then they want to know the eternal nature of the covenant between the Father and the Son. Ooh. And it just it, there's no end. And you watch. Next thing you know, they didn't. They're, they're off in funny land and they're denying scripture, the authority of scripture, and they're coming up, they write a new book and this one's like, why God is a woman. Uh, really? Is that where we got to? And I think, and here I, I can, I want to confess to you this morning that I, I've, I had, a totally wrong understanding at an early point in my Christian life when I got wrapped up in theology to thinking that this very way. I've, I thought that maturity was connected to knowledge. Like if you knew all this stuff about theology, you've taken, read all these books and all these courses and have all this information that you're like, that's what it, that, that's maturity. And so what you, what, if you want to mature anybody, you just got to like give them all this all these courses, all these classes, all these books, you read it, done, next person. And they're, they're now, they're mature. Nothing could be further from the truth. You don't ever graduate. And what we need is we need the fundamentals of theology, the study of God himself. We need to look into and peer into God and know him. Know, and, and you never get past, you never get past the fact that Jesus loves me. And this I know, for the Bible tells me so. It just gets deeper and deeper and deeper. And that truth, someone, it should get to the point where you've walked with the Lord long enough and somebody makes that statement and it almost brings you to tears. And you say, that's awesome. That is so good. 
That's what it's to do. You got to think of the- truth and theology and your Bible more like food. Because we're not trying to figure things out. We're trying to feast our souls on the truth. And when we're feasting on it, we got to chew it. We got to enjoy it. We got to savor it. And we got, because we want it to get, and then we got to swallow it so it goes deep down into our souls. We don't learn it and then move on. Just think of how you treat food. We never think of it, think, we never have a meal and think, well, that's over, never have to do that again. Well, we know in a few more hours, it's time to do it again. It's t- definitely time to get it. And as we do this day in and day out, the food strengthens and sustains us. And we, if we've been eating good food over a long period of time, it creates a healthy person. If we've eaten, eaten bad food over a long period of time, it creates an unhealthy person. And this is the same way with the, with the truth. The truth that comes that we learn in theology that we that comes through the scriptures, it's it's like food to be feasted on. We don't we don't ever graduate past steak and potatoes. We just look forward to the next time we can enjoy it. Amen. Amen. <laughs> and the same goes for God's truth. We don't ever graduate. And here's the thing. If we look at the Psalms, and the psalmist says, meditate, the psalmist meditated on the word day and night. Do you realize that he was not meditating on God's word day and night to gain data? Because I got an exam in the morning, and I know the scribes are going to be testing me. He says, I del- he delighted in God's word and feasted on it. And this is what you have to do with God's word. This is what you do. You're here to feast on it. You chew it. You mull on it. You ever watch a cow chew its cud? It eats for a long time and it sits on the grass and looks like it's chewing for the next day. It's because it, it brings its food back up, rechews it, and puts it, you know, just rechews, rechews. It's kind of gross, but it's a great picture of like meditating and, and feasting on God's word and just understanding it and getting it. You know, we don't learn a catechism so that we can impress the Sunday school teacher or get all the answers and so that now we can get a badge. Or now, I've done that, now we can move on. The whole idea of the catechism was these are the foundations of the Christian faith and you feast on these suckers the whole life so they go deep, they get in your soul. Just think of this for a moment. Take, for example, question 28 from the Heidelberg Catechism talking about the providence of God. The question is this. What does it benefit you to know that God has created all things and still upholds them by his providence? To which the answer is, this benefits me greatly because I can be patient in adversity, thankful in prosperity, and confident for the future in my faithful God and Father who will not allow anything to separate me from his love. For all creatures are so completely in his hand that without his will they cannot so much as move. That's an awesome answer. And that's an answer that takes your whole life and beyond to get deep into your bones. You don't graduate from that ever. 
Until your trust is perfect and complete, and you can say that with complete sincerity, and the winds and the storms of life can hit you from ever, everywhere, and there you are in perfect peace, trusting your God, and say, you are my salvation, O Lord, in whom I trust and in whom I delight. You have not gotten it deep enough. You don't graduate. As soon as the stuff hits you in life, it'll test you. Do you really know this stuff? Do you really know God? And as you feast on Him and delight in Him and get to know Him, you watch your trust grows, your love grows, your commitment grows. It gets deeper. And then you go back and you read that question after many years of feasting on this truth of who God is, providentially governing my affairs. And it's like you want to fall on your knees and worship when you read that. That's maturity. That's growing and, and going deeper, further up and further in, as Lewis put it. That, that, that's what we're, it's about. It's feasting on the Word. So, you know, one of the things I want to tell you is that please, please don't have your little devotional in the morning, get your chapter done, and then move on with life. It's never intended to be that way. Never. It's not data for your brain. It's food for your soul. Man, if you can't get past three words because you're stuck on it all day long, praise be to God. Just the thought, his steadfast love never changes. And if that can capture your imagination and your heart all day long and you maul on that, that's beautiful. That is glorious. That, that's a truth that's just got to get so into you that it's got to be mauled on. Don't pass it over. Don't read it quickly and say, oh, got my reading done today. I feel good that that's over. I don't even know what he's talking about there. In, in that, you will never, your soul will never grow fat. You will never mature and grow up. You will never be, you'll never be feasting on the truth. And because you're not feasting on the truth, your, your soul is becoming anemic. You're getting weaker and weaker and weaker. You trust the Lord less. You love Him less. And you're barely hanging on to the faith. Well, you haven't eaten in a long time. There's no, there's no wonder. I think that we have to come to the place where we understand that we need, we need desperately to, to feast on the truth. Because he who sets his mind on the things of the Spirit, guess what? Walks according to the Spirit. You want to know the fullness of the Spirit in your life? You want to know, you want to, want to see your faith grow and expand? You gotta to learn to feast. You gotta be committed to feasting. This means that you, you've got to do what I'm gonna bring up here next and as far as this last point. These are all kind of connected. God gave the Spirit, and, and He gave it to His people. And until we understand how to feast on the things of the Spirit, we won't even know what it means to walk in the Spirit. But here's something else that goes along with this, because you can't, you can't always be reading your Bible. You can't always be studying theology. But this is what you can do, and this is where these things, they come together, is you can be praying without ceasing. And we all know this passage, right? 1 Thessalonians 5.17. 
Paul tells us to pray without ceasing. And when I hear that, immediately my mind goes, well, okay, thanks for another impossibility. That's not going to happen. Because that requires saying a lot, and I often don't have a lot to say. And so most of the day I like to be in, I don't even like to hear other people talk. It's like silence. You could be that person's like, that, that, that's mind-blowing. Not only that, pray without ceasing. Jesus himself said in Matthew chapter 6 that when we pray, we should not heap up words like the Gentiles do. And then he gives us a model prayer, and this model prayer is about this big. Real short. Let's confuse you even further. And then Jesus spends the whole night in prayer, Luke 6. Pray without ceasing. Don't heap up words. Just make it short. And then Jesus prays all night. Okay. I'm confused. This sounds like contradiction to me. Because this, especially if you think and understand, if, what, if I used to say, what is prayer? Most of us, and it would be me included for the longest time, I thought, you know, making prayer, so making prayer, prayer is making requests of God. Like you make a request. You, you, when you're praying, you're like, Lord, would you please? And then you fill in the blank. And you, I pray for Sally, Johnny, and pray for the church, pray for my mom and my dad. And, my, and once you get through your list of praying for people, that's your praying, right? You're done. The other bad part is that, okay, now it's two, that was Monday, now it's Tuesday, and you got to do it over again. Well, what? Say the same thing over and again? Like, okay, I'll pray for the same people, same list, same thing, same way. And what do I do Wednesday? Repeat. Now it's, wow, this is getting tedious. And this whole idea of praying without ceasing, that seems like a pipe dream. Who, show me that clown. Where is he, where's he from? How, what's he doing? <laughs> what does that look like? You know, here, but thankfully, as I've just, especially lately been wrestling with this in terms of like, what is prayer and, and doing a lot of studying and, and wrestling with this, I've come to realize that how truncated even my own view was and how f- foolish, really. Because, you know, when you look at the Psalms, which contain many of the prayers of David, you can learn a lot about prayer. For one thing, they are what Israel sang. This is their songbook. And therefore, demonstrate that singing itself is a form of prayer, which I've believed for quite a while now. I see the connection. Their songbooks, are, the vast majority of them, are prayers that they sing. And they sung continually, it says, at the temple. Dave, David set up a rotation so that the singers would be singing around the clock. These wanted the praise of God to be going forth. But when you think of, okay, so pray, praising God, singing, even what we're singing this morning, this is... This is prayer. This is why even you start to think about, okay, Jesus said, my father's house should be a house of prayer. That's odd. Well, there's certainly, there's some prayers going on, but there's a lot of sacrifices going on, like almost constantly. Incense, uh, there's, there's work involved in the temple, there's singing going on. And yeah, there's some people praying, but it's a house of prayer. It's like the central component. This is what it's about, is prayer. It's because, as we'll see, I think, all these components are prayer. It's, 
It's our heart lifted up to God through these different means. Let's just take, for example, one psalm where we see a bunch of different components of what prayer is. Psalm 63. I'm going to walk through the first few verses of Psalm 63, and you'll see there that like, once we get a broader idea of what prayer is, it's, it start, you start to see how we can, okay, I can see how we could kind of start praying without ceasing, as long as this is what it means. Here's how it begins in verse 1. This is David saying, Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Here, this is how David opens up, and he's simply expressing his soul and longing for God himself. Oh God, my soul longs for you. I love you. He's just, he's just, he's expressing the deep desires of his heart. He's just simply, he's, he's not making a request. He's not even, he's not even, uh, he's not even praising him as, he's just stating the state of his soul. My soul, this is the state of my soul. My soul longs for you, O God, as in a dry and thirsty land. And he's recognizing his deep need at this point, just my soul's need. And then he continues on in verse 2. He says, So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and your glory. David has memories, and he's, I have looked upon you, O Lord. And he, he, he often delights, David delights to go to the temple and just look. Think of this. Look. I've just looked upon you and your beauty and your glory and your majesty. I just, I've, I've looked upon you, he says, in the sanctuary. And what has he done? I've just beholding, just beholding, just delighting. So this is another component of just beholding. Just admiring. And then in verse 3, he says, Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So now David here breaks out in praise because of something about God. He says, because your, your steadfast love, he says, listen, it's better than life. I've lived life. I've tasted life. I've done a lot of life. Life I've lived. And I've tasted your steadfast love. I know your steadfast. Your love is so awesome. It's better than life. He's just, and, he, and he breaks out in praise because of God's steadfast love. And then next he talks about simply raising his hands to God's name and blessing him. In verse 4 he reads, So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name I'll lift up my hands. So here's David, in, in, and look at all these different components of prayer. And he says, I'm just going to, in your name, I just want to bless you. I'm going to lift up my hands to you, Lord. Just, that's it. It's like, and you start thinking of this. As, like, here's David, and he's not, have you, have you noticed any request yet? No. It's just, it's been delighting, praising, beholding, raising his hands and blessing him, pondering his steadfast love stating the condition of his soul. And then he says, he, he goes on, verse 5, my soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. I love this because this is what we talked about, feasting. 
Where is this fat and rich food? What has he been doing? Just beholding, looking, loving, delight. And look, and look what, I love what he says. And my soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. The best food that you could ever imagine. I just, here's a feast. And what have I done? I've just been feasting on the Lord, beholding, looking, delighting, enjoying, blessing. Just dumbfounded. He says, there you have it. There is this glorious feast. Just, and who knows how long he's there. Let's just say he's at the temple. He's there for eight hours, standing with his hands up, on his face, on his knees, walking around. Who knows? But he loves to be in God's presence. This is David expressing so much, I think even what, Prayer is, as he's praying to God, all these components. Would you typically think of this as prayer? I don't think so. We're also told in other Psalms, he just tells us to wait on the Lord. Wait. What do you do when you wait? Well, you sit there and you wait. I'm waiting. That's right. Waiting in the presence of the Lord. Waiting on him. That implies quietly being receptive to him. These are all components. It's like starts kind of blowing my mind and thinking, I never think of prayer like this. I think of prayer as like, okay, where's my prayer list? Here it is. Okay, start off. Um, I'm going to start. I'm going to pray for Mike. <laughs> I knew I'd get a reaction to that. <laughs> so that's how we often, am I, am I right? That's how we think of prayer. Like, let's go to the request. What are my requests? It's not about all these other components. About Just think of it. Praising, adoring, beholding, raising your hands, waiting, singing, all these other components. When you start to put all the data together and see what what was the psalmist doing in his prayers, what what maybe all of a sudden it begins to make sense. We're not piling up a bunch of lists of things to say. We're not like always talking. This is why I think one of the best descriptions of prayer is this. If someone says, what is prayer? The answer is, prayer is communion with God. And I'm telling that 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 can simply just acknowledging his presence and delighting quietly. Just quietly acknowledging his presence. What are you doing? Prayer. That's me praying. Well, you're not saying anything. A lot of prayer is saying nothing. I'm sure when you, you saw Jesus was, if you saw him communing with the Father on the, all night long, like what's he saying? I'm sure he just delighted and adored the Father for vast portions. There's not a lot to say. I'm thinking I, I, he went up there to decide who he's going to make apostles out of his disciples, and he spent all night. I'm sure he's not just repeating their names over and over again and keeps doing it until the, the Father says, that one, and then that one. Yeah. <laughs> So what's he doing? It takes five minutes to actually make that request. But it, he's communing, delighting, enjoying, blessing. They're hanging out. Have you ever been with someone you d- deeply love? And you don't have to say words. Just It was so good. And we say this, spending time with you. You don't. Sometimes talk is way overrated. <laughs> Sometimes 
just hanging. Sit like, like, we get, sometimes if, if you're, if you're in company that you're uncomfortable with, you haven't got familiarized with yet, silence is awkward. Oh no, what are we going to say? Oh no, oh no. And everybody hates that feeling of, okay, awkward silence, nobody's saying anything, gotta say something. And you always feel that with people that you don't really have a real close relationship. You're, maybe you're getting to know them, but you're not at the point yet where silence is okay. You know you've graduated when silence is okay. And you can sit there. And it, this is what we have to understand. Just even acknowledging God's presence. If you walked around and just thought about what I said earlier about Christ dwelling in you by the Spirit, that you are the temple of God, mauling that thought. This And this is also where feasting on the Lord and praying without ceasing, if you're feasting on the Lord, and you, it's not some academic exercise like, I'm studying my theology, but you're delighting in who God is, and you're thinking about Jesus and his glory and his goodness and who he is and what he's done and, and, and just pondering that. You're in prayer. You can do that prayerfully or you can do that academically where it's just a mind exercise. Just like you can sing from your lips or you can sing from your heart. And so this is why this becomes a house of prayer. Everything we do is ends up being about prayer. Because whether we're waiting or we're singing or blessing or thanking or asking or whatever it is, we're in prayer. It's, it's part of the components of prayer. We're communing with God. And I'm afraid that so many of us do not do this. I'm convicted. I realize that, wow, learning this and coming to understand, like, I need to grow up and learn what prayer is all about. And I need to learn to be quiet. And I've, and I've been doing this more and more for the past several weeks. I was spending time just quietly before the Lord, delighting in his presence. That's it. Oh, that is rich. It's being quiet. Going through your life. I mean, just imagine going on a nature walk. It's pure prayer. Oh, Lord God, look at this leaf you've created. It's beautiful. And you're beautiful. Man, you see, wow, check out the spider. You could, and the life, God created everything around you and they're like they're they're the reasons for thanksgiving and praise like did, when you grabbed your coffee this morning to whoever made it i don't know if you're into coffee but did you smell it did you taste it god was just saying i love you that's this is a gift and did you say oh, father i thank you in your heart did you thank him and here is maturity. It's growing up so that life more and more becomes about this prayerful living. Prayer without ceasing. So that you get out of the bed and say, oh, thank you, Father. That was a pretty good sleep. It's way more than I deserved. Wow, the fact that I got any. That was wonderful. You know, oh, that coffee. You smell that? That's so That's great. Thank you, Father. Thank you for you being you. Thank you for that I'm your... You could, could you just see, start living and walking life? And he's putting things in front of you all the time. You know, thank you for my friends. Thank you for my children. Thank you for my spouse. Th- thank you for, thank you for my work. Thank you, Father. Oh man, I'm so thankful for this rain. We haven't had rain. Thank you, Father, for this rain. Praise you. This is so, this is such a blessing. Oh, look at that. Look at the sun. Isn't it beautiful? Such a picture of your glory, O oh God. And that's what, that's living, people. That is living. Living life to the fullest. Enjoying God. 
enjoying Him and all that He's given you. I, I think that the greatest tragedy of all is to compartmentalize life and think life could be a devotion if we lived it right, as opposed to like thinking we just have to have our devotions and then go live life. Well, you know what's good about having a morning devotion? It should like whoop, bring you back to center, help you, reframe you, get you started so that you can carry it throughout the day. Because how are you ever going to get to the point where you're actually praying without ceasing unless you mature in this? How are you ever going to get to the point where you do all things as unto the Lord unless you're maturing in this? And one thing you can never do, it's not like, oh, I can't do it, I stink. Uh, I'm just, what's the point? I can't concentrate for 10 seconds. I'm ADHD. I'm, you know, I, I can't, I try to concentrate. That's fine. Concentrate, just get back on track. Just, hey, I haven't thought, Lord, I haven't thought about you for eight hours. Please forgive me. <laughs> and the more you go back to, you have to learn to walk with the Lord. You have to learn to pray without ceasing. You have to grow up and learn to do all things as unto the Lord. How hard is it at your work to say, Lord, this is for you, and this is just an offering of love. That's not hard, but I tell you what, what's hard is even remembering to do it. Who does that? Only somebody who's walking with God and learning to walk with God and growing in their walk with God. When we're little children, we have a hard time. Little children can't focus. But when you're maturing and you're growing, hopefully you keep telling your kids and you keep telling them and you're hoping they'll get it and they'll hope that they'll stay grounded and and they'll grow up and be able to maturely take responsibility and focus. This is the thing that we have to understand. You, you, I've way overdone my, myself. Um, but I just want to close with this. Uh, you ladies who live life with children and think, man, I just wish I had time to pray. Oh, I, 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 I can't even imagine. I'm running from like laundry to diapers to dinner to, to homeschool to, oh, and it all happens at once. Well, you have all the time in the world and all these things can be triggers for you to remind you things to give thanks for, things to praise God for, things to pray to God for, living in prayer. You could be, there's no reason you couldn't have hymns playing and you'd be praising God while you're doing your laundry. There's no reason to say, oh, Lord, I thank you for clothes. You're awesome. There's no, there's no reason you can't be changing a diaper and just be completely wonderstruck and amazed at God's creation. And, and just think, you know, Lord, you, you give me an opportunity to love this little one. Living, that's living and praying without ceasing, living in communion with God, going all our tasks and duties and the things that we do. We can praise Him, we can delight in Him, we can thank Him. That, they're just, they're all opportunities, they're all gifts, they're all blessings all around you. And, 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 you know, and then struggles, difficulties, temptations. Interact with God. Oh Lord, this is hard. I can't do this. I need your strength. Oh Lord, I, I want to kill this child. You have to, you have to help me in every way. Please, please be merciful to me. But that's learning to live and to walk in the spirit of prayer, praying without ceasing. So this is the thing. The spirit of God dwells in you. And unless you set your mind on the things of the spirit, you will not walk in the spirit. You'll not walk in the flesh. And you're not going to do that unless you learn to feast on the truth of the Lord and, and mix it in here with making it all prayer, praying without ceasing. Man, you start to live like that. 
And you, it's transformative. The Spirit will live in and through you. And now you're getting ready. Now you're ready to go on mission. Because now you know how to live and walk in the power of the Spirit. And you'll be excited to go. So may God have grace and mercy on us as we seek to live this out. Amen. Father, we're so very thankful. We praise you for your grace and your love toward us that you're so good. We thank you for all that you bestow upon us. We thank you that you have given us your spirit, that you dwell in us right now. Praise you for that, Lord. And I ask for everybody here that you would help them in every way to walk with you and commune with you day in and day out and look to you and to praise you and to love you and to adore you and to behold you and to cry out to you and to turn to you for everything. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.